Transforming Retail from EY. Hello and welcome to Transforming Retail, a brand new podcast series from EY for leaders in the retail industry around the world. I'm Kate Borsay, and at a time when consumer habits are changing fast, we'll be looking at how retailers can evolve quickly to stay relevant. Our focus this time is on London's retail value proposition. We're joined by a panel of expert guests. Thomas Harms is EY's global retail leader. Hello to you, Thomas. Hello, Kate. John Copestake is EY Global Consumer Senior Analyst. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. Nicole Schrock-Stanley is CEO of the Dan Perlman Group, the strategic creative agency combining branding, retail and leisure expertise. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Kate. And Ian Johnston, founder at Quinine, helping retail leaders reimagine the role of physical retail. Hi, Ian. Hi, Kate. Now, you've all just been pounding the streets of London, looking for examples of best practice and innovative new trends in physical retail. We'll get your observations in a moment. Thomas, first of all, which locations did the four of you cover and are there any blisters on your feet? So start with the last, uh, with the letter. Yes, there are. <laughs> and it reminds me that working in retail is really a tough job, standing the whole day on your food, running around. So I made a lot of, a number of miles. So we visited four locations, Knightsbridge, Oxford Street, Coldrops Yard and Westfield Mall. Great. Well, uh, we'll find out exactly what happened in a few moments' time. Uh, we've got a best of what you saw quickfire round later on for you as well. Um, first of all, though, John, what's the theme, do you think, for London's retail scene at the moment? And how do the different locations reflect that? So it's interesting that London is a, it's an age-old uh, historic uh, retail location. People have been able to shop there for generations and you know, hundreds of years. But what we saw is that there's, there's also a lot of new innovation coming out in London. So what we, what we want to do is select these locations so that we could look at some of the newer locations such as Westfields and Coldrops Yard and also look at some of the uh, older locations such as Knightsbridge and Oxford Street to see how you know some trends were persisting some some value propositions were persisting but what new ones were coming as well. Well let's go round the table to find out where each of you visited and hear your impressions specifically on that area. Nicole let's start with you. Well I went to Hammersmith because I'm really interested in see how retail shopping malls and especially the surrounding of the cities react and interact with each other so and i went to the see the ikea concept where ikea bought a whole shopping center and uh, redid it and it has a very interesting approach because it's kind of scruffy made and it opens up to the neighborhood and invites everybody to actually have a communal space and the core tenant is IKEA itself and they set up a new concept it's Atelier 100 where they give um, young London based designers the, the chance to exhibit themselves so it is really interesting how everything is interwoven and that they give the concept a lot of air to breathe and it's not so finished and uh, this makes it really interesting and uh, lively I think Ian, let's come to you. Same question, really. Where did you visit and what was your impression of the area? So we started at Harrods in Knightsbridge and walked down Brompton Road and turned towards uh, Sloan Square and walked down Sloan Street. And so quite uh, an area of traditional luxury market. Um, And um, I was um, inspired by many of the things I saw, the, the sort of confidence um, and individuality of, of some of those brands was was truly inspiring. The the ability to uh, 
present new offerings and new formats and new types of um, engagements um, was really inspiring, especially as it adapted towards the community around that area, which I didn't really expect. I expected it to be more of a global proposition, but actually it had a, a, a tremendous London focus and feel. Great. Thomas, what about you? Well, I've been to uh, Coldrops Jart and uh, I expected a very commercial place, but actually it was a place for curiosity, very clean, very neighborhood-like stores, all very individual, high engagement. Um, so I was really amazed and was, was, was a place where I like to stay. And if I could, I could have stayed longer. John, what about you? So I went to a place, uh, Oxford Street and Regent Street, which is almost the diametric opposite of what uh, Thomas visited because here, obviously, there's a lot of flagships. It's a it's centre of a lot of retail tourism. And it's also an area in transition. So I mentioned Old V New. Uh, at the moment, it seems to be going through that transition. There's a lot of store closures, a, a lot of big flagships closed, a lot of short-termist stores popping up. I, I don't know how many candy stores and vape shops I saw. But at the same time, you can see a lot of uh, innovative um, practices and old practices successfully persisting there and that's what really excited me was the fact that they the old is still coming through in terms of really really being core to your value proposition nicole i know you're passionate about the future of cities and bringing people back to the high street what innovative ideas caught your attention specifically in hammersmith um hammersmith is such a good example because they actually used a lot of tools that you normally use in placemaking so they introduced kind of furniture to the outside that combines seating and, and planting and sprinkle it around the whole shopping center and they actually opened the shopping center to the back where there is a housing social housing project and um built a communal place and introducing and bringing the people into the mall as a living room to the to the whole community around so i love that idea and i love the idea that they um had a very open sometimes really scruffy looking approach to the architecture that says i'm not finished we are experimenting and we bring people in and you can participate in the development of this whole 1970s shopping mall that was clearly desolate before they took it over with the liviat concept so that i thought it was really excited about this concept and the way it mingles with the city and uh, with the communities and tries to be a crystallization point of the center. Ian, you love the theatre of shopping. That's no surprise to me. You're sat next to me in a bright cobalt suit, cobalt blue suit at the moment. Uh, you've got a keen eye for in-store display. This is what you like to look at. Um, what did you find that's been really interesting or inspiring? Interesting enough, I mean, we talk about innovation and in some ways I think a lot of what I saw went back to basics, right? There's a huge focus around the environment, the materials, the experience you get from being in a place. But what really inspired me was the way that staff activated those spaces. Without the staff themselves, um, you know, I wondered whether you'd have the dynamism you had. Staff really brought the thing to life, the passion they had in the products. And I think we're all talking about a very similar mm. kind of um, opportunity where staff and physical spaces make unique experiences, right? They're not canned up, they're personalized, they're customized. 
um, and really dynamic, right? And that's what real retail is about. It has a social element, a social fabric, which whether you're a tourist coming in to see Harrods, right, or and you want a bit of London, or you're you live off Brompton Road and and that's your local department store. There was so much um, community and um, human qualities there brought to life, and for me. Like I said, it's not that's not a new trick. Mm. That's an old trick, and it seemed really refreshing that it wasn't filled with digital transformation and QR codes, but actually, there are social element beyond a level of hospitality of just getting a drink. They really opened up the store, opened up themselves, made it personal, and for me, that 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 is one of the cornerstones of of why mm. we shop. Right? It's a social activity. Thomas and John, uh, I'll ask you both this same question. Um, what forward-thinking things and ideas did you see in London's retail scene that impressed you? I think it's a use of the space in itself. It was not just to stock merchandise mm. and make it available to the shopper. It was more about creating an installation of certain products and so that you get inspired to want to learn more and then they shipped it to your home or they brought it back from a storage behind the scene. And all the stores I saw had other purposes. So there were parties, events, cycling tours. And in one store, they even didn't sell the merchandise by themselves. They rented out the space to brands around cycling to create this inspiration and this pop-up store for six months for their cycle, for their helmets, for their accessories, and then all combined with everything you need as a cyclist. So there were mechanics, there were people making your cycle to your measure, so really customizing it. All the journals of the world around cycling were available on screens, the current uh, performances, you could do a cardiologic cycle, so everything around it was there. Well, for me, I think it was about, as I mentioned, just keeping the old and the new themes. So in terms of one of the things that I saw, which was inspirational, was that notion of the store much more as a, as a showroom rather than as a space in which the, you, in which you're actually trying to sell stock. So one of the stores I went to had a gaming room, had like 20 or 30 consoles, and there were just people playing games in the, in the store. They weren't selling anything per se. People were just using that to experience the, the brand and the brand of the retailer. Um, at the other hand, though, there was the high-touch element where you know I, I went into a, one luxury store and was shown around by a member of the sales staff they show individual customers around they they take they bring them bring them items they bring them they bring them drinks and refreshments and they show them you know how to really experience the the, the clothing that they sell and I thought that was really powerful because it's, it's low tech it's it's not sci rocket science it's literally just the ability to actually um, create a human connection with people and drive that into something that's much more meaningful well, our enlightening conversation continues with a look at what's not doing so well when it comes to predicting and adapting to consumers' needs. Plus, we'll have most interesting product, best service or business model. That's all to come. Transforming Retail
Well, we've already heard some great retail experience examples, but without mentioning any brand names, can you give us your observations of what's not living up to expectations and why that is? Nicole, let's come to you first. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really interested in everything that has to do with the digital customer journey, like means combining digital uh, and physical retail. And so I was specifically looking out for something like metaverse approaches or gaming approaches, everything that has to do with retail and leisure. So I was checking for those things and uh, surprisingly enough, it is all standalones. It hasn't merged very well yet. So they have on the fourth floor a room dedicated to NFT products and or they have like screens showing bubbly worlds where you can enter but everything is still very clunky and not so consumer friendly it has no natural flow at the moment so i would have thought that everything progressed a bit more and it's not just because in the physical Mm. world you have a door you have a door in the digital world as well so um i think we still have to figure out how to merge those words seamlessly. I mean, I can build on that, which is that obviously I went to a couple of um, you know fairly high-tech kind of uh, retail value propositions, and it's really interesting. Everyone has been talking about multi-channel and omni-channel, and they've been talking about blended experience and physical supporting digital, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But actually, we didn't see that. I mean, it wasn't something yeah. that I saw explicitly in any of the stores. That's not to say it's always a bad thing, but it does show that one of the things that you know a lot of people are talking about in the market isn't actually coming through in the experience people have in their stores. Mm. I mean, John, one hundred percent. The idea of an omni-channel experience, right? For me, it, the last ten years has been, um, you know, the background, the infrastructure. It's now to deliver on that promise, right? What does that mean for the customer? Driving people from online to in-store, using your store to drive people back online. This cyclical kind of experience, this branded experience, which can be physical and can be digital, we're not there yet. And there are really simple ways to to do it. And I don't understand why. I mean, I I do understand why and the complexities of where we are is in terms of the, the, the economics behind it. But there is huge opportunities to really develop that um, and it just takes a few retailers to really push push that out there I think yeah maybe to add that the use of data in all the stores that I have seen has been zero a part Perfect. of the receipts that I was the baskets that I took nothing else was collected so when they talk about their shopper their customer what what the people I talk to do a lot they knew this person but they couldn't if if somebody else would serve you next time they would not know what you have bought and i think that's a missed opportunity ian and i have talked about this a a lot but the one thing i noticed very very starkly this time around because i've I've obviously done these tours before um, in in various places is that the the balance between stock and experience needs to change so at the moment most most of the stores that i visited or many of the stores that i visited were very very high on stock and and they're not going to sell all that stock in a day they can restock Um, and the experiences some of which were fantastic were locked away in a corner somewhere so i went to one store where they did some gate running on me and they sent me a fantastic um, email which showed my gate analysis on how i could run etc it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in terms of running it made me want to run again um, but I had to had to actually act, ask uh, an assistant where in the store it was they had to show me where it was and run through it with me and it just it just showed that actually these fantastic things that these stores have, have got they're not necessarily putting them front and centre as much as they could Can I come back to the data thing sorry John to, to 
to interrupt there, but um, and I would agree with you 100%. There, there's more activation from the staff and, and to introduce people to it and curate the experience. And But coming back to the data, Thomas, that, that I felt in some ways retailers that I... I saw, and they were luxury brands, were more focused on their vision and creating something unique that represented was authentic to the brand. And so maybe not responding so much to customer needs. And I know that's the flip side of what, what you're talking about the data. You're talking about data collection and personalization through that. But I really felt the vision of these brands at the focus, like let's create something unique and special for our customers, right? They shop with us because I'm a certain brand and um, that I felt was really brave and they were very confident in, to, to, in doing that and that was really refreshing. It wasn't the generic stuff I see everywhere on every high street all over the world. It was unique and special to that location and um, I just wondered whether they were actually collecting data and responding to it or listening to their own brand promise. All right, well that leaves us something to think about, doesn't it? Now, Onto the finale that I know you've all been waiting for. To round off the show today, we're going to have a quick fire round. Uh, you've each got a maximum of 30 seconds to tell us either the most interesting product, the best service, or business model that you've seen. Thomas, you're up first. Your 30 seconds starts now. Yeah, for me, most impressive was Via, this cycling company that is renting the space out. So that was really great, great inspirational workplace. John? For me, it was purely around the the, 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 the luxury store that obviously offers that one-to-one um, uh, consultation. Um, I was very impressed with the gate analysis and, and, and all the high-tech stuff that went there. But for me, being able to go into a store and know that somebody knows you, they, they capture your data, they, they, they keep in touch by WhatsApp, um, they let you know when things are coming into store, they give you all of that personal service. It felt to me like a very, very high-touch, and it's not something that... Um, requires particularly a huge tech stack to deliver on. It's just something that where where actually the staff are the most important thing. Ian, for me, uh, perhaps the most inspiring uh, experience was the Hanya Hindmarsh Village, um, just off Sloan Street, um, which is a collection of stores that the single brand owns. Each of the stores does a unique offering. One of them is about personalization and embossing. One of them is about recycled product line they had. They actually uh, have a cafe there. And so this kind of flagship, which has been almost deconstructed and put into a street, they had a pop-up there, which they change out every every couple months. Uh, this time it was a stationary brand. Time's up, I'm afraid. Ah, it's uh, okay. Ian, now Narrowly escaped disqualification along with John there for going over time. Nicole, my hopes are resting on you. 30 seconds, please. I thought the, the new retail as a service concepts where you actually, the brands rent space. Um, I like that a lot because they had an amazing device for scanning and then being pushed to the internet and then you get the best price for the products and also very extensive an analysis of what kind of product it is and how what kind of features it has because that normally is where the whole customer journey breaks and those kind of concept retail as a service concepts all right we'll call time on it there thank you very much for those answers and i can reveal that two of you hit 30 seconds on the nose you get a special non-existent award and an award in theory at john and Nicole, you both hit 30 seconds dead on. Thank you. It's been a really fascinating discussion. I'm sure you'll agree. Thanks very much to our great panel of guests today. Nicole, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. 
Ian, thanks to you. Thanks for having me. John, thank you. Thank you. And Thomas, thanks to you. Pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Do subscribe to the series so you don't miss another one. From me, Kate Borsay, thanks for listening. Transforming Retail, back soon. 